Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. future of comics so uncertain, it only makes sense that the We Are Krakoa team, the social council of Krakoa, would look to the past to understand what future may come. Of course, there's so many futures, pasts, and presents running around Marvel Comics, and even after the simplification of Secret Wars by Jonathan Hickman, it doesn't seem like the focus point of the Marvel Universe has gotten any easier, except Marvel seems to be creating a specific linear way to look at history, almost as if Marvel has finally figured out a way to crisis themselves into a clearer picture. Whether it's Marvel 1000, Marvel 1001, or the pages of Jason Aaron's Avengers and the final host, the Marvel Universe is inching toward a clearer past, present, and future, and nothing puts it better into focus than Mark Wade's History of the Marvel Universe. Here to discuss it is, of course, the Social Council of Krakoa. That makes me Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. Regina. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive this experience, similar to how the only two survivors in this story are Franklin Richards and Galactus. So before we can talk about anything else, Marvel has a history of doing these really gorgeous perspective, retrospective, kind of over-the-top editions, as does DC. It's a time-honored tradition to take a step back and look at the grand sum totality of existence from a, an unusual vantage point. And whether you do it from the beginning of time, the end of time, or the middle of time, the Marvel Universe is filled with these Personally, I'm a fan of the end line of comics, whether it's X-Men, the end, Wolverine, the end, Hulk, the end. There's been so many of them that are so terrific. In fact, the Daredevil one is a special, unique story. Daredevil End of Days was a proposed work early on before Bendis left Daredevil, but he wound up having a lot of stuff on his plate, masterminding the Avengers in a big way. And before I can go further, there's so many, like Marvels, Earth-X. Does anybody else have any sort of like taking a look at the X-Men or the Marvel Universe from a fragmented point of view kind of story that they love? So I've actually been slowly making my way through Marvels, and between the art and the storytelling of the beginnings of superheroism, it, it's just a really fascinating read. I love Marvels, and I can't speak highly enough about what it did for comics at the time. I do think it's important to note that Marvels has a really unique history. Marvels was this proposed, let's take a look at how the Marvel Universe formed on its anniversary, and DC did a response that was DC at the end of history. It was a book called Kingdom Come, and Kingdom Come did a lot for DC. It wound up having a sequel, The Kingdom, also very popular. Marvel was then challenged to do 
uh, response. Well, Alex Ross, the guy responsible for Kingdom Come, was then challenged to do a response. And that gave birth to Earth X, which is actually one of my all-time favorites as well. So Marvel's not only legendary, famous, well-respected, well-loved, been reprinted a million times, just got a couple of sequels in the last couple of years, but it is responsible for so many more stories set along the same lines. So that's just such a great choice, Kyle, because not only does it have gravity about the history it's about, but it has effects on the comic industry as a whole. Exiles is another one. I think Exiles is such a great way to look at the Marvel Universe as a whole. I was going to actually say that I really enjoyed the Exiles too, and that for a number of years, Marvel was producing x-men millennials like they did it for like three or four years in a row and i really liked that because every page or every two pages was a different like brief history and story of a whole different universe and i don't know i liked those and i really loved that dynamic perspective i gotta go with kyle when i started picking up and rereading some of the older things Marvels was something that really got my attention, just the beauty of the art and the way that the story was laid out and the way it unfolded. So I did enjoy that. I haven't read very much of Exiles. I've kind of picked up a little piece here and there, but not really enough to speak on it. But definitely Marvels, I think, is a way to bring out the way that the story started to form. And you kind of get a sense of how it was then in the beginning, but with a more modern perspective. So it was kind of a neat little way to kind of bring new people in and and kind of get a feel for how things were starting and how the people of that era before there were superheroes had to adjust to this new world and the, some of the things that came about because of it. Jonah, you know, I know you're the newest to comics as a medium, but you were brought into comic superheroic kind of storytelling by none other than the X-Men's cousins, the Teen Titans. And if I'm not mistaken, your favorite version of the Teen Titans isn't a comic version at all. No, I was part of the generation where the Cartoon Network's Teen Titans was very much geared towards me. And let me tell you, I was obsessed. I loved that TV show. I've even rewatched a bunch of episodes now that I'm older and connected with friends who've watched it and we're rewatching it. And it did a really great job of mixing comedy and, you know, children tropes that you see in a lot of children TV shows and having some very serious episodes. There are some really great episodes that talk about racism, you know, friendships falling apart, family conflict. There's like a lot, there, there are some severely serious, severely serious, that is my new album coming out, uh, <laughs> episodes that I was like, that, that really Im- impacted me as a kid. So the superhero genre was nothing new and it was something that I loved and I is something that I am really am happy that I get to explore more now that I'm an adult. And I think it would be ridiculous to try and pretend that a lot of our generation didn't come to X-Men as a genre, as a genre, because that's really what X-Men is. X-Men, it's not, it's got its own format and the vibe. You know, when you think about how the X-Men have run for like ever and they've had so many different iterations, but it's still the same thing. You know, when we talk about X-Men by Hickman, it's this completely transformed, radically different, unrecognizable creature compared to, say, 
X-Men by Claremont, but you know what? It's still the fucking X-Men. Like, it's still got that X-Men-y, X-Men-y, X-Men-y vibe. And that's what makes it so unique to talk about as a franchise. And that's why the perspectives on it are so important. You know, I think when people are like, oh, I love getting AU versions of stuff. I'm like, yeah, but it has to be earned. I need something that it's a reflection of. And I think X-Men having such a varied cast and so many amazing heroes to have so many different ways to look at it. It's one of the reasons that X-Men is kind of like that go-to guy for this story. And while true, what we're examining today isn't specifically X-Men. It is covered by an X-Men scribe who, while he wrote during the Onslaught era and not too much X-Men since then, no lie, he is renowned for being one of the most beloved writers at Marvel in the last 10 years, whether it's his groundbreaking run on Daredevil or his successful follow-ups on Black Widow and Doctor Strange. Mark Wade definitely is one of those like classic Marvel writers who's never going anywhere. He's probably best known for Captain America and Superman. And he sets this whole story, this whole history of the Marvel Universe, which he does... I, I don't want to use like a term that's kind of insulting effortlessly with Javier Rodriguez. Like there's something so beautifully, organically, awesomely natural about it. I may be a little disappointed that the cover is Steve McNiven, but you know, give me some Steve McNiven any day. It's just, you know... Javier Rodriguez does such a beautiful job crafting this thing. Anyway, anyway, anyway. The conceit of this book is something that would be pretty familiar to listeners of the show right now. X-Men Fantastic Four has been on our radar for three months, and God only knows when it's ending. But the conceit here is very simple. It's the end of time, and Franklin Richards and Galactus are just hanging out dying. There's no, oh, the Eternals are coming to do this. There's no Mr. Sinister planted an evil egg. We're simply there, and it's present. And, you know, the first thing I get is that origin of Galan of Ta, and I actually love that origin. I love Galactus canon. Now, guys, I think we've discussed that this team doesn't have too much experience with the Great Devourer, and you know, I love Galactus, I love Kulan Gath, I love these ridiculous characters who are just too powerful to be real. What did you guys think of the origin of Galanta? I really enjoyed it. It kind of made this character who was just super imposing into a someone who seemed more sympathetic somebody that i could understand why they've been menacing the marvel universe for so long and it kind of made me feel bad that he was put into that position I like that a book like this could give new readers to Marvel or even older readers like us who don't know it a sense of understanding. Like one of the main reasons that I always mention in our books that I really love Magneto is that we've seen Magneto's past and I feel like everything we've ever read of him, you completely understand why he is the way he is. And so this is a good way for people to understand about Galactus and how it led to that 
agree. I'm not a huge Marvel fan outside of the X-Men. I have read a lot of other characters, but not with the same consistency. I don't really know that much about Goactus. So reading this story from the beginning, I feel like it, it brought me a long way to understanding more about what his character is about, what how he started, what he was doing, the reasons that he's doing, the things that he's doing. So for me, as someone with very limited knowledge of Galactus, I really liked the way that the story was portrayed and brought forth so that I could see exactly kind of what it is that we're doing, why we're doing it, and why he is the way he is and the reasons that he's doing all the different things that he's done and why he is such a huge character in the Marvel Universe. I have to agree with all of my co-hosts here. I thought this was such an interesting story to tell. I wasn't really expecting there to be like a form of a plot. I thought this was just going to be like a recount of like, hey, let's look at the important things that happened throughout Marvel history. And I think for me, probably what I found most exciting is I recognized a lot more names than I was expecting to. And I was like, oh, oh wait, I know this. Oh, wait, I, I know that guy. Oh, I know that girl. Oh, wait, I, I, I like... I was just really happy to be like, oh, I know things. And that made me feel really good. <laughs> I guess my only complaint is like, there will be certain things missing that were from here. I feel like this opening giving us so many of the like mystical staples that contribute to the Marvel Universe, like right off the bat, Eternity, Master Order, Lord Chaos, Death, the Living Tribunal, the Infinity Stones, the Phoenix, the Emkron Crystal, the Celestials, the Akanti, the Elders, Eon, the Watchers, the brood like i felt like every panel reflected a single second of the marvel universe told in this like delicious sliver like the best single bite of cheesecake you've ever had <laughs> and you know one of the things that I loved the most is if you're a Jason Aaron fanboy, you've probably been checking out his Avengers, which I'm just loving the fucking shit out of. And his Avengers, 1 billion BC with Thor at, well, Odin as Odin Borson, playing, kind of playing that Thor role, the Starbrand Hulk, Lady Phoenix, the Panther, Agamotto, the Sorcerer Supreme, a fucking Ghost Rider with a fucking woolly mammoth. <laughs> And a badass female Iron Fist with no patience for any of your bullshit. Like, it's so amazing seeing all of these elements that, you know, frankly, I've watched in the last couple of years lose focus. There's a lot of ways in which this rebirthed focus for me. You know, there's always this competing thing. No, this is the most powerful item. No, this is the most powerful item. Anybody who's a fan of the Sandman series knows that there have been a number of fake endless. And... There's always the one that's bigger and the one that's better, But, you know, unless it's written by Neil Gaiman, it's just not for real. And I kind of feel like unless Marvel says in a crossover with the word infinity that this is the most powerful object, it's kind of not for real, right? I feel like here we got a tour of all of the infinity everythings. I think if anybody got a short shake in these first maybe seven pages, eight pages, it's Mephisto, who I feel like is getting a lot of buildup lately, whether it's in Jason Aaron's book or it's that trade of like the best of Mephisto they just released. He's getting a lot of props, but like I'm not not seeing it necessarily translate exactly yet but so guys that first salvo that opening round of amazing who were you guys most excited to see appear initially like you mentioned earlier it was awesome to see like the Imcron crystal and that stupid fire chicken and actually the brood i know this came out prior 
to recent issues of Dawn of X X-Men, but I'm just happy that here recently that there's just more history given to the Brood because they are like a diabolical force to be reckoned with. They're written to be a diabolical force to be reckoned with, but then like every time they show up, they are there for like two or three issues and then they're defeated. And But yeah, so I'm glad that we get to briefly see them back at the beginning of Marvel history. I really liked the way that they established the order of the characters. Um, but of course, as soon as I saw the Phoenix, oh my God, my heart went do 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 And I really loved seeing the Watchers. The first time I met a Watcher was when I finished the Dark Phoenix saga. And Uatu was talking about the sacrifice of the Phoenix. And that was the first time I really cried reading a comic book. And I love Uatu. I love the Watchers. And I liked how later in the story, we find out more about the reasons that they did the things that they did and why they did them and how they turned away from their original plan. So I, I loved seeing the Watchers here pretty quickly. I was actually really excited for the mention of the Akanti. I like everybody else here, loves Storm, and having the Akanti be part of Storm's character development, I was really excited to see them be mentioned and be honored as the first sentient beings that went out for the search of knowledge. I mean, space whales that just want knowledge and are passive and chill. How could you like not want to know more about them? I feel like I can summarize what Jonah's trying to say with space sachet, Akanti, you slay. <laughs> for me it was a combination of the akanti and the celestials i have seen mentions of the celestials but it never really made much sense to me so actually getting to see details about them really helped to solidify just how much of an influence they are on the universe and you know like not to not to fanboy too hard and be that guy, but I feel like getting mentioned in this book kind of solidifies your place in in the bigger Marvel scape in a way, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you made the first issue and the beast of the hand making it into this made my heart a pitter patter. Of course, uh, Master of the World from Alpha Flight making an appearance made my heart go, the fuck? So it's kind of a little bit of everything. And it's really mind-blowing the way the entire Marvel Universe is being cataloged in a really gorgeous way. Whether it's the explanation of Gaia, Ashurder, Set, Chan, Yadrasil, or, you know, I'm really glad you brought up how confusing the Celestials can be for a lot of people. I have a really strong Celestial background because of EarthX, but... If you don't have that, yeah, they're bizarre and baffling. And, you know, it's so important to come to understand space in the Marvel Universe quickly because there is so much... We have, whether it's the Skrulls, the Shi'ar, the Nova, the Kree, the blue area of the moon itself getting highlighted, the Savage Land being attributed to space, which, oh, okay, sure, all right, that's fine, yeah, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. And then we have the Eternals and the Deviants, and Asgard flourished like a neighborhood away. So, like, if the Eternals and the Deviants are like West Side Story, it's like the Asgardians are Sunday in the park with Norse, like a town over. And we get the Inhumans and the first vampire, Jim Varney, evidently. Sure. And then we get Atlantis, Selene. Selene! We get Agamotto and we get Jonah's precious bloodstone. Like, 
there was so much in so little space and I, you know, on that subject of like big things making appearances, I actually had some questions for you guys. Dylan, when I think of X-Men villains and you, honestly, one of the villains that comes to mind is Celine. Seeing her get her due here had to make you all sorts of shiny inside. It really did. I love Celine. I don't know why I think it's really whenever I get angry, that's the type of person that I hope people see. Um, (laughs) one of the things that made me super excited to see that they do mention Celine in this is just the fact of Celine has always kind of had a really confusing history. A lot of X-Men characters and or villains have sometimes had histories that weren't really delved into to explain very much. Years prior to this, Celine had her Necrotia story with the X-Men, and I think that fleshed everything out, but for it to be added to... The rest of Marvel canon in this book was nice to see, even if it's just one tiny little panel. But I also am just really happy that her panel is about six or eight panels before the first appearance of Apocalypse. And online, people always argue about which mutant came first, Apocalypse or Selene. And I think it's still kind of foggy as to who is the first mutant. But I'm happy that Selene got to be in the book before Apocalypse. Jonah. Oh, Jonah. It was just like a free gift. It was just like free Jonah a gift day. They just gave you Ulysses Bloodstone in a loincloth. They really did! Oh, he's not in anything <laughs> with Elsa's original run, so it's it's nice to know more about her dad that they mention that they never show. It was, um, it, it was just for me. And that's nice. <laughs> you know what was probably just for me? Crying fat baby Thanos. <laughs> with his nutsack for a chin. I love him. Uh, yeah, I I love him. I love him in all of his wonderfulness. So, but, you know, that does bring me to another character. So, okay, Regina, Apocalypse, Big Blue Daddy A. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, is that Apocalypse slaying a brood with the weapons that he, like, has on Krakoa. That's what it looks like to me. And I gotta say that Jory looks amazed at him. <laughs> Yeah, he is a flossy bitch. But yeah. Wow, I didn't even realize that his swords have always looked the same. That's awesome. Now, so, okay, one of the things that made this series, I think, both exciting and possibly confusing for people was probably the way that they're trying to interweave a lot of the story all together at once. Kyle, had you realized that, like, Terrigen Myths and Vibranium, like, predated Thanos? I knew about Vibranium. I was not aware that the Terrigen Mists had been around that long. So that was that was definitely a surprise. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like the way it sort of pulls together the timeline, putting Fin Fang Foom in there and, you know, trying to find a way to, I guess, bring the Eternals in all at once, I found it to be a lot of competing narrative, but giving me that it took place kind of separately really helped. I found Fing Fang Foom being in this really interesting because on last week's episode, I recommended Next Wave Agents of Hate, and he's in that book too, but in there he has shorts. (laughs) What? (laughs) And speaking of cute, Lil Baby Thor, much less freaky looking than Lil Baby Thanos, And I actually love the number of things that are discussed as birthed in the next few pages. We get the birth of the chaste and the hand, which is 
my jam. We get the birth of Thor Odinson, and we get the uh, a, a pregnant celestial, I guess. And then out of nowhere, it's like magic. All of the Marvel UK stuff that Kevo and I have been insisting will someday be relevant gets brought up, and I'm real excited. And you know what else I'm excited? I was excited to see Diablo. You know why? Because there's so many characters in this fucking Contest of Champions phone game that I play that I'm like, you're not relevant. But then you show up in a book like this, and I'm like, moderate relevance. There just winds up being so many characters that I feel like get piled on top of one another we get the destroyer we get the three godheads of odin zeus and vishnu i'm a fan of the atlas book but i feel like oh also atlas also mephisto also the ancient one also i guess more vampires also silver surfer also the hellfire club also mr sinister i'm just like oh oh okay we are we are running toward the end of this issue oh my god there was a lot of like really important things and then a lot of not important things but then you're like wait if it's mentioned in here is it important but yeah i'm glad that they also just threw in here that mention of the hellfire club because again like i mentioned with the brood the hellfire club is very important and i'm glad that they were thrown into this book for whenever they were created or started to be relevant so you know sinister keeps coming up a lot in x-men right now And Kyle, I know Sinister is no friend of yours. How did you feel about the elevation of who was once an X-Men sort of like side villain to a focal point of retelling the Marvel Universe? I think it's actually a pretty interesting move uh, just because of how much influence he has had over the mutant community between meddling in the Summers clan for who knows how long to... I mean, he's been around since what, Victorian times? So, yeah. (laughs) He's he's definitely a major player, so it does make sense for him to be here. And Regina, I was really thrilled to see the Hellfire Club portrayed in such a kind of grand way, giving them that spot for no other reason. We know that the Hellfire Club has long had a strong female presence. I've been very happy to see a number of the strong women that they put in this issue, but so many of them are cast in this role of the magic woman. Now, there's not much that can be done to change the fact that the history of the Marvel Universe, both real and this title, is going to be reflected with near-exclusive patriarchy. How did you feel about them making sure to include at least a few touchstone women characters, such as the depiction of the Hellfire Club? Anytime I see female representation, I'm over the moon. Because just as we see in this specific book, this story is constantly being told from a male perspective. So whenever we have a woman who is brought in to show women are just as important to this history as men are, I think that is really really important and really vital. I really liked seeing the Hellfire Club even way back then having female representation within their ranks. And of course, we don't really know that much about the origin and what types of roles that women were had to play then because even Emma Frost had to carve her way into the Hellfire Club and show them, look, I'm here. I might be a woman, but you will not dismiss me. So I really liked seeing them here. I really liked seeing the role that so many different women had 
had, you know, we see Morgan Le Fay and Thor's mother. And I have to say, I didn't realize until recently that Frigga wasn't Thor's mother. So for me to read this now, when I just recently realized, oh, <laughs> that's his quote unquote stepmom. It was really nice to see that reinforced and put out there that, you know, Odin made a specific chess move to create Thor Odinson. And that's how he got to our planet and how he derives his strength from both Asgard and Earth. I don't think I realized that either. So being able to see those things and put them in this perspective of this grand history for me was really important. So there's a really kind of, I don't know how people feel about it. It's actually really divisive. And the only person I know who might have read it is Dylan. Dylan, did you catch the minor references to Hickman's shield? I did catch them. But I don't know that much about like the shield stories, like the shield stories of like early Europe and things like that. But I did catch the references. So had that been a book that you avoided? And did you avoid it because of fan reaction to the fact that Leonardo da Vinci is an Illuminati who created shield in the method of a divine god it was it that that pushed you off of it or had you just not happened to read i didn't happen to read it when it came out but after it was out for a while and i actually did hear or read things about leonardo da vinci like you just mentioned also made me not ever want to go back and read it <laughs> now i'm going to be honest I, I'm loving House of X, but House of X is not my favorite Hickman work. Still, it has a long way to go to overtake S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Secret Warriors. That one-two punch is possibly one of the greatest comics I've ever read in my life. And I believe there's a Dark Avengers tie-in through Ares and his son Phobos, and I super-duper recommend it. Now, the last page of this issue, Jonah, this last page has two canonically makes out with dudes characters... A guy clearly dressed like he's going to ball and then, um, well, you know, the first ghost writer. So this last page has two gun kid and rawhide kid and, you know, rawhide kid's a big old faggot. And then it's got the original ghost writer and a boy, James, a boy, James Logan, who, as we pointed out, is bisexual in an extreme X-Men universe. But also there's no way he hasn't dicked down Sabretooth. So... Seeing this last page with James running in blue and just the cutest little athletic pants you've ever seen, how did you feel about seeing Wolverine tied into the fabric of the origin of the Marvel Universe by including him in the last page? I wasn't expecting it, but I was really interested. Also, can we talk about how gay those cowboy names are? I really, like, Rawhide Kid. I I mean, he is gay. Rawhide Kid is canonically puts it in butts. But yes, the names are very gay. <laughs> and Two-Gun Kid became like Biffles with She-Hulk for a minute. It was really fascinating to learn that Wolverine's dad isn't actually his dad, but his abusive groundskeeper. I was just like, okay. Oh, wow. You've never read Origin. Huh. 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 Oh, gosh. Well... <laughs> Uh, oh, I need a minute. Okay, so once upon a time, there was a gentleman who, for some reason, uh, the Marvel offices let him do whatever he wanted all of the time by the name of Paul Jenkins. And Paul Jenkins, along with 
Joe Quesada, in a very bold move in 2001, came up with an origin for Wolverine in which he was a dainty little boy and was the product of cuckolding. <laughs> and the later additions to this, additions by my precious vaunted Jeff Loeb, mind you, involve Romulus and Vulcan and this endless cycle of dogs versus cats that can't be broken. And Logan has an older brother, Dog Logan, and he's a lot of fun. So I understand <laughs> you've never read Origin. I'm jealous. I'm so confused right now. I I'm I I don't understand what I just heard. <laughs> yeah, and then there's Origin Two, and I'm pretty sure that one is Logan and Sabretooth used to work at a circus. Well then, and Mister Sinister used to be the ringmaster. Alrighty. And speaking of rings, the second issue opening with the love between Destiny and Mystique and that fabulous fucking ring that Mystique is wearing is just amazing. Amazing, amazing. I loved opening up with that sequence. It was such huge subtext for so long. And then we only recently really heard Mystique in her own words claiming Destiny as her wife. So when I opened this page, I was stunned. I was blown away and I was so happy. And I was just like, you know, Mystique is a bad bitch, but that bitch love her wife. <laughs> it was a really heartwarming set of panels. I really liked seeing them showing their love for each other. You know, just two gals being treasure hunters together. What could, more could you ask for out of a gal pal? You know, your best friend. <laughs> I like that when it comes to this series of the history of the Marvel Universe and the six issues that Mystique and Destiny are the first showings in these books of an LGBT character or characters. So I like that they put that in there because, I mean, we all know that truthfully Mystique and Destiny were really the first gay characters from knowing that their history has been that they've been together for so long. Well, I do want to point out that if you're reading this in like some sort of magic, because I got the Marvel Treasury Edition, which is like the size of my fucking body. I love this thing. It's enormous. It's it's terrific. Uh, if you were reading it in some sort of special magical edition that took out all the annotations and covers, this would be like so many gays touching each other. It's Wolverine and Mystique and Rawhide Kid and Destiny. It's just like fags on fags on fags. But do you know what I was kind of surprised by? The man on the wall? I was convinced I was the only person that loved Original Sin from the way that it's never referenced and is completely erased, but no, it was awesome. And what was also really awesome was the beautiful tribute to Orson Randall and the Confederates of the Curious. Thank you so much for this special moment. Don't get me wrong. I love Erskine and, you know, I love getting... All of that, but like, if you're an Iron Fist fan, there's some really magical stuff in that for you. Also, Union Jack is such a great character. It's always a blast to see him. Sexy, sassy Namor's mom with a really uncomfortable Norman Rockwell-looking Namor. No thanks, not, not fan. You can have it. I do have to point out that on that Steve Rogers page, there's the whole Vampire Deacon Frost Eric Brooke thing. 
I keep thinking that baby's head is a boob and that its ear is the nipple. So that panel kept throwing me off. But once we get to that two page splash that it's like high evolutionary all the way through two gun kid returning and the angel Dominic Fortune, just this like gorgeous, gorgeous who's who of the best of the 40s and 50s at Marvel. I just found myself she's so happy at how much foster created back canon was generated for before the original human torch it's stuff that we talked about in marvel 1000 but it was just really great to see it here did anybody have any standouts in that first handful of pages where they were just like guffaw i was only uh, a bit confused because they sometimes they refer to namor as as a mutant sometimes they don't in this they refer to him as a hybrid human Atlantean. So I guess he's not a mutant again? I think he is. I think the language just might be clunky, but that is a real bad place to have clunky language. I was happy that they just give a brief history of Namor's mom. And I don't. when I read it, I was a little confused by it too, Kyle. The way I took it was it seems like they were saying hybrid human and Atlantean. So I feel like hybrid should have been mutant human and Atlantean because I feel like everyone always refers to Namor as a mutant Atlantean. I I don't know. It's really confusing too. So yes, like Nico said, I wish the wording on that was better. Yeah, I think I'm a little biased because I don't really care too much about many of these other Marvel characters. So the Namor one stuck out to me too. I really love seeing Namor's mother. I don't think I've ever actually seen her before. And little Namor as a little boy was so adorable (laughs) but um they also bring in of course blade and i don't know much about blade other than wesley snipes played him in the blade movies i've always loved the blade movies so you would think i would actually read the comic but i haven't um but just to see these women that played such a huge role in bringing forth these characters i love seeing that I, i didn't realize the origins of the human torch i guess until i read this i had to go back and i started wikipedia-ing everything (laughs) so the way that some of these characters i guess the background of some of these characters i really wasn't that familiar with and to be able to look at this book the way they're presented and then looking in the annotations later i feel like this really helped further me and my fandom and and knowing more about the marvel universe better than a lot of i think anything else that i've ever read this is like the bible So the one that stuck out to me the most, I don't know who he is, but I like Dominic Fortune because I like his costume and I like that he has the woman that he's with is like a 1920s flapper. I'm into that. I don't care for these new men who just remind me of the Annie men who I didn't like, who remind me of the Weapons Project 2 that were the the Dolphins and Sergeant Dr. Dolphin, whatever his name was, went down. Dr. Echo, show respect. Dr. Dr. Sergeant Echo McPherson, uh, Eileen Warnos, that's who that was. Well, there's this dramatic shift toward sort of like the war comics that kind of replaced the sci-fi magic. You know, the characters you're referring to, the new men, did ultimately give rise to a Nico fan favorite, Bova, who does appear later on in the book. But this sort of turn toward war comics, the number of Captain America stories, the positive, thank goodness, inclusion of Isaiah Bradley, the Nick Fury and Howling Commandos stories, losing Bucky to the ocean, the Captain's America that would 
come after it, like Spirit 76 and The Patriot, there was so much depth. And I mean, I'm also like a sucker for like Fire, uh, Firestar, Jesus, for Spitfire and Union Jack as a team up. They had a number of great miniseries in there. And then there were other special touchstones, like the Adam the Blue Marvel, who doesn't get enough respect. Yes, he was a character that was created later on to establish and flesh out the Marvel Universe but I'm pretty okay with that. Let's get more positive diversity in there. There are a number of characters that I think are going to be unfortunately forgotten to time. As much as I love the Agents of Atlas before this Agents of Atlas, I am much happier with the name being used to create an Asian identity at Marvel, and now calling these instead Department Zero is just fine by me. The furthering of the Man on the Moon, I guess I wasn't the only one who liked Original Sin. And then we get every version of the Avengers before the Avengers. Guys, that is a lot of 50s heroes to digest at once. It's a bit overwhelming, but it's kind of eye-opening to all the stuff that we may not have had a chance to experience. I agree with what Regina said earlier. I am really happy with some of the things that were thrown in here, especially the origin of the other Human Torch, because I think sometimes people get confused since there's two of them and people don't really know the history behind the original Human Torch. And it is kind of interesting to see how much, like we were mentioning earlier in the first issue, about how much all, if this was like real life, how much all happened at like the exact same time within like 10 or 20 years. So it's nice to flesh it out, even if it is just one or two tiny panels and one little character box giving a description. It's nice to see it all how it all flows together. Regina, something I've loved having you a part of the show is that you are the most passionate, outspoken advocate of all kinds of diversity, not just diversity that directly affects your person. And I think one of the things that Wade sought to do here was to create a strong catalog of black heroes in the past in a, I hate to say, quick, absorbable way. But when we take a look, we do get both Isaiah Bradley and Adam the Blue Marvel, as well as a number of other characters of color in the subsequent teams. I am a pretty big Dr. Druid fan because of the Warren Ellis run. So, you know, that's a character that I note and see stick out. I can definitely see a trend toward more women and more characters of color in the second issue alone. Did you notice the trend at this point or did you feel like it still didn't go far enough? I think given the history of the way that of the way comic books in general came about and were produced, you can't help but have an overload of non-diverse characters. You have, you know, this whole country basically that was built on being white, being Caucasian, and that was the default for so long. I don't know that the writer could have done more than what he did. I was so happy to see the Monster Hunters with Zawadi because she was the first black woman I think we've seen at this point. And when I saw her, like my heart literally skipped a beat and I was just like, finally, it has taken us this long in the history of Marvel to have a beautiful, strong black woman being presented to us. I love the Blue Marvel. I love Isaiah Bradley. I remember when his story was first being told. I remember the backlash that came out about that. And it just made me so furious. But I think that these characters are, are hugely important to have them finally being highlighted in these little slips and slivers of what we're getting with everything else. I think that just goes to show how important diversity truly is and how representation really does matter for people who aren't seeing themselves being represented very often at all. And we are finally getting to a point 
point in time where we are seeing representation among different groups of people with our Asian representation, our Black representation, our Hispanic representation. We're finally getting Hispanic characters. So to have these individual characters being highlighted for me was very exciting. Jonah, I want you to say hello to Bova. Yeah, she's uh, she's here. She's um, a cow. You're welcome. I don't know if I should be thanking you, if I should be scared. I don't know how to feel about her. I'm kind of really surprised to hear that Craven the Hunter and Sabretooth were both Avengers. Um, I was not expecting that at all. That sources back to a Bendis arc of new Avengers that then got a Howard Chaikin miniseries called Avengers 1959, I think. It was a weird, it was weird. It was a weird, but hey, more Dominic Fortune. I hate that this is the image that we got of Craven and not one where we can see more of his chest. (laughs) 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 So I love that they won't stop bringing up that Groot was a bad guy for like one page. Jesus fucking God. But hey, Doctor Strange, cool to see you. And then the Weapon X program. It's the Weapon X program. It's the Weapon X program. I'm just so happy. And then, so Nick Fury is a spy now. Great. Okay. But he was already a Howling Commando and a man on the wall. So I just feel like Nick Fury is getting an undue amount of attention. But hey, he's Nicholas J. Fury. Give him attention. Uh, However, anybody who's not thrilled to see the Gaborum just doesn't get me because that shit's amazing. And then we sort of get like a quick 60s. We sort of like fly through the Mandarin directly into Frank Castle, evidently, as well as James Rhodes and Ben Grimm. We get Thor, we get Reed Richards, and we're at the Age of Heroes. And I feel like, yeah, okay, I'm surprised because I I don't think I'd realized that Mark Wade would be able to generate what really amounted to like a full issue out of the 40s and prior, a full issue out of the late 40s into the 50s. Like, I'm pretty surprised at how much Mark Wade was able to generate, all things considered. I'm really surprised how much I didn't know, but I'm also surprised at how much I actually did know. (laughs) So I'm just feeling this weird sense of, wait a minute, what do I need to do from here? Um, I actually did take some time to go through the annotations and I used my Marvel Unlimited account to kind of see which comics I could pick up. So of course I haven't read all of them yet, but I am kind of going through that list to see the things that I missed and how it was presented originally, just to kind of get my own background knowledge where it should be. I'm surprised and happy with how these first two issues were made with so much information in every page and that it didn't seem cluttered. There there was some pages where it was just a lot of information, but the art and then even the, the squares with the text, it was not cluttered in a sense of like over stimulation or sensory overload. It all flowed well. And I think even the art told most of the story. Some of those boxes were just like six or seven words. So I'm very happy with how the story of the entire first couple of zillion years of Marvel could be told in just beautiful art that's not crazy overloaded. Which is amazing considering the Parkers die and the Gaborum are introduced on the same fucking page. So for me, I think that the reason why I'm enjoying this more than something like Marvel 1000, 1001 is that it feels more cohesive that because there's only 
one writer, only one artist. Everything just flows together better than having each page be written by somebody else and a different style of art being used. Okay, so something that's like just slightly confusing to me is that in this page explaining that uh, Odin kicked out Thor and he became Donald Blake, he has his cane here, but later on, I, I know the cane is supposed to be Mjolnir, but later on it says he finds Mjolnir that looks like a cane, so I'm confused. Shh. There'll be something else I'm confused by by consistency later that I'll talk about. Doesn't happen in this one, so I can't bring it up. But yeah, that happened. I also was very shocked to find out that Victor Von Doom was also friends. Well, adversaries, I should say, with Richards and uh, with Reed Richards and Ben Grimm. I also did not know Ben Grimm was supposed to be really smart as well. So yeah, <laughs> I'm the thing. <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> That's my thing impression. You did a really good job. I want to wrap up these first two issues by talking about the total number of X-Men appearances. By my count, we had references to the Phoenix, Emkron Crystal, the Akanti, the Brood, Savage Land, Shi'ar, the Master of the World, Selene, Apocalypse, Mr. Sinister, the Hellfire Club, and Logan, all in the first issue alone. In the second issue, we kick things off with a reference to Mr. Sinister in the High Evolutionary pages, followed by Mystique, Destiny, Weapon X, and Department H. Guys, two issues in, I love this book and i hope you guys are loving it as much as i am i, really am. I, I definitely I'm am enjoying it way more than i thought i would well guys until we return to take a look at issues three and four which are like kind of the 60s 70s and 80s kind of sort of maybe kind of sort of 60s 70s 80s 90s maybe just like the 70s and 80s like but also like a lot of the 80s and 90s but really like the 70s and 80s right until we come back to take a look at that kyle where can everybody find you you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook and at my X-Men Facebook group called House of X that Regina helps me moderate. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everyone find you? You can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at The Red Queen of X and on Facebook at The House of Goblin Queen. Jonah, where can everybody find you? You can find me being raised by my cow maid Bova on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me raising Jonah, cow mating around Wondagore, all over this amazing network on Tuesdays on HTML or on Mondays and Thursdays on both feeds of this show. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram, Nico Action and I C O A C T I O N, or our webpage connected to this show at WeAreKrakoa.com. And guys. Until we return. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.